This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to the latest episode of the Total Saints podcast. I'm Martin Stark, and each week I'm joined by our panel of Saints experts to reflect on all things Southampton Football Club. Coming up this week on the podcast, reaction to the home games against Leicester City and Brighton. We look back at three years of Ralph Hasenhutl as manager, and we'll preview Arsenal away at the weekend. First of all, let me introduce you to our regular TSP guests. Steve Grant is the owner of Saints Web, which is the independent Southampton FC website. Uh, and he's back in the UK. Is it good to be back, Steve? Um, it's been good to be back at, back at a couple of games. But yeah, I mean, it's cold. Cold. Let's, let's, let's be honest. Um, when I, when I walked, out, walked out the door of Terminal 3 on Monday, it was just that, that sudden wall of icy wind just hit me. And it was just like, oh, God, get me back, get me back on that plane. Um, but no it's, no, it's been all right this week. Um, good kept busy as well so that's uh that's been good it's nice to have you back uh glenda the court is the writer of league one minus 10 which is the weekly saints blog how's your mood been today glenn you all right oh yeah i've been all right been all right the uh, trials and tribulations of central heating failure um still carrying on um so i've got a nice nice bill for a new boiler coming i'm looking forward to that that'll be nice um yeah it caps off a perfect week really <laughs> brilliant yeah and, and no escapism through football this week no not uh, at all also joining us dan sheldon is the athletics dedicated saints reporter it feels like you've had a busy week dan there's been a lot going on at the club yeah it's been a fairly busy week you could say that Kind of three games in a week is always busy, but coupled with a few of the other bits that I've been working on in the background, yeah, very busy. Great. We'll get on to those later. Uh, of course, the biggest hello and thank you, as always, is reserved to our patrons, wherever you might be listening or watching this week. Hello and welcome to episode 178 of the Total Saints podcast. This is the Total Saints podcast with Martin Stark, Steve Grant, Glenda LaCour and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Now, a 98-minute equaliser for Brighton means that Saints throw away another lead. The manager described it as a disaster, and it certainly was a disappointing afternoon at St Mary's. Dan, I'm going to start with you. One of the headlines that I've got 
um, in front of me. Keeper cost us two points. Um, Ralph wasn't pulling any punches after the game, was he? Um, what did he have to say? It, it was really quite remarkable, actually, um, when he because uh, he normally does all his radio interviews first and then he comes to the, the written press. But seemingly he did it the other way around. I don't know why, but he came to us first. And normally it's me that has to go first and ask the question, which is always what you want after <laughs> after that. And I knew what kind of mood he was going to be in. So you try and do like a gentle kind of just toss one up and let him you know, hit a home run. Just sort of said, oh, that must feel like a defeat. And he gave a really short answer. And I just said, well, what happened at the end? And then he just went off on one about Alex McCarthy. And you kind of sat there like dumbfounded because it's not often, uh, it's not often, sorry, that, you know, managers call out players the way he did to McCarthy. And, you know, he called him unprofessional and said it wasn't acceptable. So that was really interesting to hear. And they're more experienced reporters in the press room, you know, guys that have been doing this job for like 30 years. And they said they've never heard a manager call out a player like that. So, yeah, he had an awful lot to say about McCarthy's role in, in what happened at the end, that's for sure. Is it all on Alex McCarthy, Glenn? What did you make of the the last 10 minutes yesterday? The last 20 minutes were appalling game management. We started off with seemingly kicking the ball anywhere, no intent to attack whatsoever. And then for some reason, after Trossard, who at the end of the day is Brighton's best attacker, he went off. They're down to 10 men. We then stopped clearing the ball from defence. And, you know, Tino Livramento tried to run the ball out got tackled, ended up giving away a free kick, which nearly resulted in a goal. It was a free kick that sort of curled wide and um, we just about got away with that one. And then and then Ward-Prowse doesn't clear the ball and tries to play a horrible hospital ball into midfield. And, you know, that leads, that leads to it. I mean, at the time, I mean, it was right at the other end from where I am. So I didn't really appreciate that McCarthy was injured. Um, I could see the player go back on the goal line. So I knew as soon as Mopay stick it, stuck it in the net, it wasn't going to be offside. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just horrible all round. But it, the the problem started with, with, you know, 10 minutes before the injury and the 10 minutes that resulted um, from the injury. We just, the last, the, yeah, the last 20 minutes of actual play was was shocking. And you, you can't just pin that on the goalkeeper. And I, I think it's, um, yeah, it, it's the fact that he has pinned it on the goalkeeper, I think is a little bit of deflection there because now everybody's, of course, cranking out the 71 points drop from winning positions mm. stats and all that, which at the end of the day doesn't reflect well on the manager. But I just can't help but feel that a lot of the, a lot of the problems in the last 20 yesterday were, were more down to the players. You know, it's Ralph didn't tell Prousey to pass that ball across the, across the goal like that, did he? Um, but on the McCarthy thing, Lianco was taking goal kicks in the first half and I thought it was just a sort of tactical thing, you know, because he's good on the ball sort of thing. They'll try and play it out through him. But so I, I suggest that McCarthy was having a problem in the first half. So they would certainly have known about it at half time, And you would think they would have said, OK, if this gets any worse, you're going to have to let us know and, and come off. So I, I think it's a little bit disingenuous what's what's going on. And the fact is that we didn't have, um, I might be being a bit harsh here, we didn't have a proper reserve goalkeeper on the bench. I think that probably played a part as well. Yeah, it's a point that certainly feels like a defeat. Where did it go wrong for you, Steve? Yeah, I mean, it's put it, for me, it's uh, it's a case of personal responsibility. I mean, players players get tired late in games. We know that and that affects your um, sort of mental concentration and things like that. But I mean, as Glenn mentioned, uh, Tino's got to just stick his foot through that one where he um, dallies on it and then gives and then bundles the bundles the lad over on the corner of the area. Prousey again. I mean, with Brighton pushed up so far, uh, a long ball over the top and you've got any one of three three fairly quick attackers to run onto it and and potentially then 
um, get the clinch in second goal. But I mean, ultimately, that game should have been put to bed by half time again. Mm. I mean, we'll we'll obviously come on to the Leicester game a little bit later, but two games in the week where we've been so far and away the dominant side in in the first forty five minutes that the game shouldn't have even been close at that stage. So it's frustrating. I mean, f- to be honest, for seventy for probably eighty minutes of of yesterday's game, we were excellent and we were we were good value for a, as I say, good value for a more comfortable win than than we were kind of on track to get. And yeah, it's just so frustrating but also so equally predictable it is proper sort of groundhog day stuff isn't it that um we find new and inventive ways to um to toss away points in in sort of late in games it certainly feels like we've been there before you're nodding your head down one of the best performances for the first 70 minutes they everything seemed to click and bar getting that extra goal uh it seemed like it was it was going well and it was a good start and they were really working hard some good individual performances yeah but i feel like we've probably said that since August, really, I kind of think you could probably go back and listen to any podcast we've recorded since the start of the season, minus probably the Liverpool game, I'm trying to think of any other games where they've not been in it at all, and just cut and paste everything we've said in those and kind of add it to the Brighton one. Yeah, you know, for up until 90 minutes, they were, you know, they were fine, but it was just that the final 10 minutes just killed them, you know, as, as Glenn already mentioned, like stupid passes. Yeah, good individual performances, you mentioned. I thought Shea Adams had another good game. Brozier, great finish, great composure. Of the strikers they've got, he looks like the most natural finisher. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't count for anything. You know, his finish counts for nothing because they couldn't hold on to a lead. Again, seventy-one points is is crazy, and it's you know it's fifteen more than any other team in the same period, which is just just quite remarkable, really. I think if you're if you're the opposition, you're playing Southampton, and they score, you know you're going to get chances, and you know nine times out of ten they're going to crumble, and you're going <laughs> to score and find a way back into the game. It's you know I think. And Brighton have showed that. Ralph made that point after the game. They should have known Brighton won't stop because they've done this already this season a couple of times. So yeah, I think go back to any podcast bar Liverpool, probably listen to what we've said there and just that will sum up the Brighton game. So is it nerves, Glenn? Is that what happens? Because you you were tweeting about it and everybody I know was talking about the inevitable changes that Brighton were going to make in the second half. They were going to come yeah. at us and then you get nervy and then, you know, we're all texting each other going that this has got one all written all over it. And, and well, it's just a case of when when it happens. So does, does that feed through to the players as well, do you think? I think so. I think so. If you're if you're used to the inevitable happening, then you, you're kind of expecting it and, and you don't really know what to do about it. You know, you think, oh, it's going to happen. It doesn't really matter what we do. But it seems like we're, as Steve said, we're finding new ways to mess things up. Last year, it's because, you know, extreme tiredness, small squad, didn't have the players to bring on as a substitute, that sort of thing. And that seemed to be the reason we were just running out of steam. This year, it seems to be slightly different. There's been a number of games this year where we've dominated the first half. And then the opposition manager has made a couple of changes at half time. Dean Smith up at Norwich being the case. Um, the Leicester game in midweek, I mean, they just made one change in midfield. You know, it's a straight swap on the face of it. But the new lad that they brought on did a lot more running with the ball and that seemed to unsettle us. We didn't really, you know, we never really react. So what I was getting at half time was, yeah, we've played well, but Potter will change it because Brighton weren't great in the first half. There's no way he'll just sit there and keep it as it is, you know, more of the same lads. He's not going to do that. So I was just thinking as long as, as, long as Ralph caters for whatever Potter does, then then we'll be okay because I couldn't really see Brighton scoring. Uh, you know, they didn't. It didn't look particularly dangerous at, at any point. They had maybe one shot that McCarthy had to push aside from mm. Mwepu, was it? 
in the first half, but I didn't really see them scoring and unless we unless we throw one in and, and that is basically what we've done. But um did yeah, and I think nerves play a part and you, you just I think the the crowd gets anxious as well and that probably feeds into the players, but it's you know, as I've said plenty of times before, it's not the crowd's fault. The players are professional players and they should be able to and they should know how to see a game out. But what annoys me is that they seem to think there's only one way of seeing a game out, which is all sitting back and, and not attacking. As Steve said earlier, go go forward, score a second goal at least, or turn the other team round. You know, if Prousey puts his foot through that ball, Brighton have got a turn round, go and get the ball and that wastes more time. And they're attacking from 80 yards away. Whereas you play a risky ball into midfield, it's it's just maddening. <laughs> and let's not forget, Steve, we had an extra man for the last 10 minutes. So does it just come down to poor game management? Um, partially, but I think part of the problem with, I mean, there's there's obviously the this sort of inherent, I mean, it's a natural thought that if you've got an extra man, then it should be a lot easier. But actually, when when you when you're the man down and you're a goal down with what ten minutes left on the clock, you got nothing to lose. You might as well just throw everything at it. And yet, even in that ten minutes of injury time, until they got that free kick dead centre in front of goal, um, I don't think they had a single shot in injury time. We'd kept them at arm's length fairly comfortably, I thought. Yeah. Um, until until Prousey gave that ball away, they run through and Romeo brings brings the guy down. I never felt remotely remotely troubled by it. And then obviously it's it's the free kick straight into the wall. You think, ah, oh, great, job done. And then they get a I mean, that's a proper lucky break um for the ball to fall to Mope where he is, because the guy's absolutely shanked a, a, an attempted shot from from wherever he is, like twenty five yards away, and it's it's fallen to his feet, basically. Mm. Um and I mean Mope had, had a couple of shockers last week against Leeds, but um no striker should be missing. Uh, missing from there and unfortunately he didn't just just as a bit of levity what what does it take what does it say about a striker who scores an equalizing goal in the last second his fans are up that end of the pitch and all he wants to do is run to the Saints fans <laughs> and goad them in the corner I just I just like I mean you know what is that what is that about is there something I think there's something wrong with him <laughs> seriously to go to your own fans go nuts you know take your shirt off get booked whatever you know, most but, of it. yeah they weren't going anywhere after the game, were they? So no. <laughs> um, let's talk about Brozier, who came in. Glenn probably could have had a hat-trick. Great start, um, a real live wire. And that partnership with him and Adams seems to be growing as well, which is good to see. Well, I think it's the first... Is it the first time they've been on the on the pitch together? You know, they might have had the odd, maybe. Odd yeah. It's the first time yeah. they started together as a two. I mm. know um, they both started at Liverpool, but the formation was all over the place that day. Yeah, I I, I thought it looked promising. I was, I was hoping it was going to be tried at, at some point and... You know, you've got Adams in form. Brozier's already shown that he can score goals and he's a good finisher. So, though I was a bit disappointed with the the effort in the first half where they both had a go and, and both missed. Um, Brozier's touch took it a bit wide and then Adams hit it straight at the goalkeeper after that. But, uh, but no, I thought Brozier did well. And, and the, the, finish is, the finish for the goal is, is superb. It's, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just very calm. Now, I don't want to, you know, put a guy down, but Adam Armstrong would have hit that first time. And it would have been blocked. Mm. Whereas, you know, Brozier's got the confidence to sit the defender down, watch him go sliding past and then and then just roll it into the net. So that was a great finish. But he's 19. Is he 19 or 20? He, he's not, he's not going to get it right every time. Otherwise, he wouldn't be on loan at us. And uh, he will know that he should have scored a second from Tino's cutback at the, at the start of the second half. And then, you know, as we, as we said, it's 2-0 and... 
and happy days where even even we're unlikely to throw that one away against a team like Brighton. We'd probably found a way, but <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, oh my beer, we'll do that. Next week. But um, uh, no, well, I thought he did well, and he, you know, that that should for now be the be the partnership going forward. Yeah, hopefully. The other one, Dan, we've been calling for Nathan Teller to start. He had his opportunity. He came in for the two games. Did he do enough? for you to warrant another start at the weekend? Do you think he took that opportunity? I think he did. Yeah, I think so. I think I was, I thought the 11 that started, I was, I was impressed with pretty much all of them, to be honest. I thought Redmond seems to be in a really rich vein of form and Teller just added that kind of youthful energy that, that he's got. He's kind of like Jenepo in the sense that he'll run around, but it's much more structured. I mean, I don't yeah. think Jenepo knows where he's running half the time, whereas Teller seems to kind of have it in his head that he's got a, you know, he, he knows the role, essentially. I was really impressed by him. You know, bearing in mind, he's not played at too much football. Um, it's been quite a stop-start for him. So, yeah, I think it was the right call to start him to begin with. I thought, you know, supporters would have seen that team sheet and seen Teller starting. That would have given them a lift because they've been calling for it for a little while. And I don't think he failed to deliver, is my opinion. I don't know if the others have kind of differing views on that. But, no, I thought he he definitely showed that he, he was worthy of a start. And for me, he should start against Arsenal as well. Did he do enough for you, Steve? Were you impressed with Teller? Yeah, he was lively. I mean, as as Dan said, I don't, th- don't think there was anybody who had a bad game. Um, no, no. We were we were genuinely pretty good, I think, yesterday. But it's that it's that ruthless streak, isn't it? Um, but Teller was Teller was absolutely fine. He was he was involved. He was linking up play. He was working hard um, when we didn't have the ball. Um, so yeah, basically did everything everything we could have asked asked of him really. And, um, in that regard, and that and that kind of applies for both games, really. I think no no huge surprise that he tired as the second half wore on. As Dan said, he's not played a not played a huge amount, so got to kind of ease him back in gently um, to an extent. But no, it bodes bodes well. And I mean, let's be honest, every, everybody's going to be getting plenty of football over the next yeah. um, month or so with the with the number of games coming thick and fast. Obviously, FA Cup draw uh, tomorrow night, isn't it as well? So find find out who we've got in the. Pompey, the, oh the, no, won't be with it. Oh, that yeah, that that was a shame, wasn't it? Um, yeah, what a <laughs> yeah, some some fine um, home defending in in injury time on the south coast. But but plenty of games coming up, so you're right. Um, Glenn, a, a word for Nathan Redmond as well. Yeah. As well as the, the point that's being the the, well, the the stat that's been shared about the 71 points lost. There's also been the one going around about the assists. Is it the first player to? I think it was four assists in four consecutive home games. Um, the first player to do so since Kevin De Bruyne in 2019. <laughs> Certainly the first Saints player to do it in, in the competition. So That was a great he header be, as well by him. He, he, he was outstanding. Yeah. He seems a real confidence player. And I know we've called him out when, I think rightly so, he's, he's had a bad game, but he seems to be back in the groove at the moment. Well, I don't, know, don't, think, I don't think it's a coincidence that, to me, he always plays better on the right-hand side. It just the cross he put in for Che Adams' header against Leicester. He wouldn't have done that from the left hand side. He'd have been chopping back onto his right foot. And I, I've been I've been very impressed with him playing down that wing. And he he's a player who sometimes doesn't need much encouragement to turn back and play the safe ball. It seems that when he's on the right hand side, he knows that he can knock the ball forward and just whip it over. And and that seems to. That seems to work better from him. For him, maybe it's just a you know a general confidence thing. But what I've liked about the Teller and Redmond partnership, if you want to call it that, it is the fact that it puts Redmond on the right hand side, and he he seems to be more more comfortable over there. And um, yeah, and he he knows he's playing reasonably well. He's probably feeling good about good about life, having just become a dad and all, and all that stuff. So uh, all these things feed in. And uh, yeah, I thought he had another another very good game. 
and um, and you know he'll stay in the side and deservedly so if he keeps performing like that. But they've I hope that they're they they're keeping on top of him because he he has obviously been known before to to let it drift and you realised he's had six or seven games where he's 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 not done much. But there's there's no you know with the amount of players that we've got playing in those areas, I know we've had a few problems and injuries and whatnot. There's mm. no reason for him to lose his focus, which I think he's done a little bit in the past. But no fair play to him. He played well. Another good assist that he deserved. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure mentioning him in the same sentence as Kevin De Bruyne is a good thing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll Doesn't take happen it. Very often. Doesn't no. happen very often. Uh, Nick's watching along on Facebook, Steve. We were talking about obviously chucking the games away uh, Nick says is it because our midfielders are too tidy on the ball and their first thought is always sideways that allows other teams to push up on us um, are our, our midfielders too tidy on the ball yeah, I mean may, maybe there's a there's kind of a safety first approach I guess at, at times I think I mean one thing we know one thing one point we made when uh, Prousey was suspended with and obviously Diallo came in um, to take his place was how much how much more sort of forward driving we were um, through the midfield. Um, and Diallo gives us that kind of that ability to to run with the ball a little bit, plays passes forwards a little bit, a little bit more often. I mean, to be honest, maybe, maybe Prousey should have passed it sideways um, for that one. Then someone else could have um, put their foot through it and chucked it 80 yards up the pitch. But I, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's necessarily a, sort of tactic on on the part of the opposition that oh Romeo and and War Prowse are neat and tidy on the ball therefore we'll 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 put pressure on them i think it's it's a situation where we're ahead in a game and therefore the opposition have got to put us under pressure mm. and that's the way that's the way that that they would that any team in in that position in that situation would go and i think that would that would be that would also be the case with Diallo in the team even even with his um, sort of more forward-thinking attributes. I don't think it's it's a reflection on who our players are necessarily, other than the fact that our players are at a certain are at a certain level, which is why they're playing for us and not one the top one the big four, for example. And therefore, they're always going to be susceptible to not. I mean, they're not perfect, and that's that's kind of the situation. I mean, I think we're we're still we're still okay. I think. I mean, let's let's be honest. There's a handful of games in this season already where. You look back at it and think, well, we really should have won that game. Hmm. And I mean, if we'd even won two or three of those, we'd be in the top half. And there'd be absolutely no worries about about sort of the direction the club's going in, whether the manager's any good, whether the individual players are any good. But because we're not quite getting ourselves over the line, all of a sudden the the sort of black and the black or white, are we great or are we terrible? Um debate comes out again. Which is, I mean, to be honest, it's, it's tedious. Yeah. No, agreed. Absolutely agreed. It was another home game on Wednesday night, Leicester 2-0. Was that a fair result from that one, Glenn? Uh, yeah, I think overall. Um, I, I think, again, good first half, second half, not so good. It seemed like we had 40 minutes off in, yeah. in the second half. We were lucky at the end of the day to get a point in terms of clear chances because the one... The one Vardy miss, I'd, I'd shut my eyes. I was just waiting for it, you know, <laughs> just waiting for it in the net because um, Vardy always scores against us. Um, and... Yeah, that was dreadful. It was. I mean, if you if you wanted any single player on that of the twenty two that were on the pitch, you want that chance to fall to. Vardy's the guy, isn't he? And and yeah, yeah I mean, that baffled how he missed that 
Yeah, no, he, yeah, he missed that. And there was another was it another mistake that led to Harvey Barnes's chance. Yeah, Walker Peters trod on the ball, yes, didn't he? So, yeah, yeah. so yeah, we got we got away with a couple in the second half. But again, I, it was it was annoying because we we played really well first half. Obviously, went in in front. Leicester were Leicester were poor first half as well. They just didn't look interested. I was watching sort of James Madison in the first half, and honestly, his, his body language was atrocious. It just couldn't be bothered. He, he sort of they won a corner and he lumbered over to take it. Like there was no urgency, no didn't didn't seem interested. And then he goes and does that at the start of the second half, where he obviously got given a rocket at half time. Um, <laughs> but that that to me was another pre- preventable goal. Going back to the McCarthy thing, it, it, it's interesting that he he gets dug out for you know yesterday. But I I thought there was a little bit of a question mark over both the goals against Leicester. Yeah, 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 the harsh. They're not. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen. You know, and we had the the Norwich game before that, and he, he didn't get dug out after after those, which I which I find I've, I I found myself arguing strange. with somebody on Twitter about why McCarthy should be number one, Dan. So I've started taking on your argument now. I feel like I'm going to die on your hill arguing why uh, why Alex should be number one. But we did score a goal from a free kick, and that was something that you were looking at, or from a corner, a set piece, as it were, quite quickly as well. That was something that you were looking at, Dan, too, and the, the work that they've been putting in around that. Yeah, I. I, I... It was annoying, actually. I'd spent kind of Monday and Tuesday going through pretty much every single set piece Southampton have taken this season because because I think last season, you know, they, they scored the second most goals from set pieces and it was such such a useful weapon for them to have. Of course, Prowse scored, I think, four free kicks. But before the Leicester game, they were second worst. I think United had, United had failed to score from one and Saints had just managed one, which was Tino's header against Burnley. And then what happens? They, they score from two set pieces. So you kind of have to rejig the piece around. But no, I think it, it does show that they are, you know, the routine they scored the corner from where I think it was Walker-Peters to Prowse back to Walker-Peters. They, they tried that against Man United, but they just didn't beat the first man. So, you know, it, it's it's a kind of a, a good signal for perseverance and and shows that they are still coming up with like creative ideas or creative ways to to score because it is when you've got someone of Prowse's quality standing over a ball you should be trying to maximize that at, at kind of every opportunity in their corners this season and you know I'm sure Prowse would put his hands up and say a lot of them weren't great you know I, I watched countless ones hit the first man and that's not something you'd really associate with him mm. so to see them score from kind of two set pieces was yeah it was a massive bonus for Dave Watson obviously who works on set pieces and it should you'd think give them a bit of confidence kind of going forward or just remind them that okay yeah we can score from this and when they're they're struggling to score from I don't want to say open play but you know kind of open play scenarios if they can get their set pieces in order then it might take the burden off having to create chances all the time elsewhere on the pitch. Well, AJ says, great call by Steve last week regarding Saints needing to work on set pieces in preparation for Leicester and their defence. The man clearly knows his stuff. So uh, plenty of praise for Steve. Uh, it was good to see, wasn't it, Steve? Yeah, I mean, I mean, if, if anybody's seen the, the Villa-Leicester game um, this this afternoon, then, I mean, that it, Leicester carried on in the same vein as well. Both Villa's goals came from, uh, came from set pieces. I think Leicester now conceded 10. Uh, 10 goals from set pieces this season, which is, I mean, I mean, in what, how many games we play? 14 games. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a, that's a staggering lack of just basic defending defensive competence. And they haven't even got either Vestergaard or Bertrand in the team. Mm, but yeah, I mean, we've, yeah, I mean, for, <laughs> um, I mean, we've, we've obviously, we obviously worked hard on, on preparing those. It, it kind of felt in the first 10 minutes of that game on Wednesday that um, we were basically going through our entire playbook of, of um, slightly quirky set pieces because um, you had the free kick in the first t- first minute where 
rather than Prousey swing it straight into the box, he plays it to the side and, and we go long to the back post for Bednarek to head head back across goal. And then obviously we have that corner where we where Bednarek gets the goal, um, where Teller's gone across to take the corner and does a quick one-two. Yes, Teller, yeah. Teller, actually, one thing to be said for that, Teller does really well to make sure he's back on side before the before the return pass is played to him. Because, um, I mean, the, I've, I've seen countless sort of set-piece routines like that go go horribly wrong where you just the the taker is just dozing and gets flagged offside because they've not not realized the defense is stepping out um but no I mean, it's good preparation good good props for for Dave Watson who obviously not no longer a goalkeeping coach has turned into some sort of um set piece coordinator and obviously listens to the pod maybe he heard you last week and maybe it's like we need to mix up a bit Perhaps that's what's going on there. Great to see. Arsenal <laughs> on Saturday is going to be an interesting one. What have you made to their start to the season, Glenn? What were you expecting from, from Arsenal on Saturday? Well, they were they were three from three at the start of the season, weren't they? And Arteta was the worst manager ever. And Arsenal, Arsenal fan TV was going mental like it always does. And so they were bottom and Tottenham was to- Tottenham were top. So, uh, yeah, they weren't terribly happy about life. But they, had, they then had a run of fixtures against teams that you would normally expect Arsenal to be. And they won most of them. So... So suddenly their their start doesn't look bad. As far as we're concerned on Saturday, in the normal scheme of things, I wouldn't be going there with any fear. I don't think they're the sort of team that rip you apart anymore like the Arsenal teams of old, but it, it's still going to be a very tough game. They Now they've got most of their players fit. They do seem to be a lot more solid at the back. And the, the, the new fullbacks look decent. Ben White has, has improved a lot. And Gabriel's not a, not a bad player party being fit being fit in midfield that certainly helped um that the one problem they seem to have still is Aubameyang up front just doesn't yeah. doesn't seem to be on it they've got Saka Smithrow um Martinelli Pepe people like that so that they've got they've got goal threats so it'll be it'll be a tough game but um I know they're, they're not the same level as a, as a Manchester City or a Liverpool anymore, but it, but it's still the same thing. It, it, you, you can't afford, when, especially away from home, you can't afford to give them anything. They've got to earn their earn their goals and we've got to keep it tight, stay in the game as long as we can. And I, I don't see, I don't really see a reason why we can't go there with some confidence of getting something, but we've got to play well, obviously. If if we don't, it's going to be another long afternoon. Yeah, it could be. Be interesting to see who starts in goal as well, Dan. You've been reporting about the possibility around an emergency loan for a keeper. You think that might happen ahead of the weekend? Yeah, I think kind of the latest I had on that was that they were waiting on kind of full injury reports on both Fraser and Alex before kind of pressing go on any kind of potential deal. I actually think they'd end up leading towards doing a free agent um, signing a free agent on a short-term basis that for them to sign if if my understanding of the rules is correct for them to sign someone on an emergency loan it would have to be put to the Premier League the Premier League would have to kind of look at the situation and then say yeah okay that's fine we'll accept it or not I don't know how long that process takes but Southampton are obviously you'd you'd imagine if Alex is looking at a lengthy spell out and Fraser's is going to miss a couple of couple more games they want someone in you'd imagine kind of Monday morning um, or Tuesday so I think they're leaning towards the free agent. I think that makes most sense. It, it's a quicker route. It, it, yeah. And it, at the same time, it also kind of covers them if any issues kind of arise later on in the season that, you know, I don't know the length of contract they'd give someone, but, yeah. you know, if they decide goalkeeper Y until the end of the season, then that gives them that assurance that if it happens again, or, you know, if Alex picks up another knock late in, I don't know, March and Fraser plays, then they've still got another number two that that's not Harry Lewis on the bench and that can play. 
if Fraser yeah. then picks up an injury. It's crazy how we've gone from debating which one of the two should start, and now it looks like neither of them are going to start on Saturday. Salazu and Romeo are also going to be missing because they picked up their fifth yellow cards, so they're not going to feature against Arsenal, Steve. Does that make the task even more difficult? Because that's two players that have been doing quite well for us. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't... Yeah, I, I have a sort of relatively low confidence in us throwing Jack Stevens straight into a game against Arsenal um, having been out for the past what two and a half months I think that's yeah that's that's a concern and you could see um, you could see Salas whose reaction to his booking was very much oh god what have I done hmm. Romeo's one he kind of had to take one for the team in in the position but Salas whose one was I mean it was it was in their half in a completely unthreatening um, situation so that was that was annoying but yeah, it's it's certainly not ideal. I mean, I don't know what the situation is with Diallo. I don't, I don't think he was on the bench Saturday. Was uh, yesterday? Yeah, he was. was he? Oh, yeah, was he? Oh, okay, he was, so, he, yeah. so he's so he's back. So Diallo and and Prowse probably come in. But then it's I mean, it's not a particularly defensive minded um, central pivot. That is it. It's um, hmm. it's. What's the deal with Bednarek? How long is he out for? Anyone know? Ralph hasn't said. Calf was it? Was it calf muscle? Yeah. They all have calf muscles, don't they? They all have calf injuries. That's that's kind of like de facto. The mm. default. For, for so yeah, yeah, yeah. Might, it's either Jack Stevens or it's someone from the B team, isn't it? I, I think someone could probably leave in a neck brace and Ralph would still say they had a calf injury. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's yeah, going to be so, an interesting so, game. Yeah, so presumably it's going to be um, Stevens and Lianco yeah. as the as the said as a central defensive two, which I mean, individually they're fine, but obviously they've not, they've not played a single minute together. So that's a concern against a, a decent side, but not a spectacular one. I mean, Arsenal are one of these teams who at the moment, they're basically beating the teams you would expect them to beat and they're losing to the teams you would expect them to lose to. It'd just be like us to go there and get a win, won't it? A couple of other things we need to talk about, but first let's do our predictions for that game. Just looking back, Leicester, Dan, I think you said one all, so you were probably closest with the score draw. Brighton, Glenn, one all. Yeah. Oh, really? Little round of applause for Glenn actually getting oh, the prediction right. Yeah, I'm really, really pleased I got that right. Yeah. <laughs> Delighted. Um, I, I, I put, I, I must admit, I did put some, put some money on three-two to Leicester um, at the moment that Bednarek scored. Um, oh, just because, just because whenever it, he scores, we lose three-two, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's quite, quite relieved that I didn't, uh, didn't cash out on that one. You can thank um, Jamie Vardy for that. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah there that. Uh, Glenn, do you want to go first with the uh, predictions for Arsenal then, since uh, since you got it right at the weekend? No. Um, okay. <laughs> um, what should we say? Arsenal. Let's go. Now, I think we'll I think we'll be half decent. I think we'll be we'll be tough for them to beat, but I think they will beat us. So I'll go two uh, one to Arsenal. Okay, Steve. Uh, yeah, I I think we're going to be too concerned with how we look defensively. Uh, to be able to make too many inroads the other way. So I think probably a comfortable 2 0. Cool. And Dan? Uh, I think 3 1 Arsenal. 3 1. Okay. Somebody did ask last week why I don't make a prediction anymore. And I kind of feel like three people getting it wrong is enough. But yeah. if uh, if someone wants me to chuck my, uh, my thoughts into that, I was thinking about this today. And I think we'll probably. Um, I can see us losing 2-0 at Arsenal, chasing the game and uh, and getting caught on the break, maybe. So if I get it right, then I'll carry on predicting. So That was a very uh, detailed score prediction as well. <laughs> the other thing to talk about today is three years in charge for Ralph. Today marks three years since he took charge at Southampton. So um, a couple of minutes just to look back and discuss whether we're a better side. Three years on, we 
certainly agreed that he looks a bit older, um, more than three years old. Um, <laughs> have we progressed under the manager? If we haven't, is it down to him? Is it the squad? Is it the investment? What are your thoughts, Glenn, on, on three years of Ralph? I feel at the moment... <laughs> that sums it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a bad day to ask, isn't it? Straight after what's happened, uh, what's happened yesterday. Three years ago, Mark Hughes was in charge and we were a shambles. And we, you know, we were a shambles. So Ralph's had a lot to deal with in terms of sorting the squad out. We, you know, we had some poor players, we had some big money players not not doing anything. We are undoubtedly better than we were when Mark Hughes was in charge. There does seem to have been a little bit of stalling of progress over the last uh in certainly in terms of results over the last year, you, you have to say that the, the lack of wins in the, the last sort of year is is um, is there for all to see. I, I don't know. I I feel we're actually relatively close to being a decent side. It just seems to be that, that you know, just small details at the moment. I'd, I'd like to think that we, you know, we are going to turn a corner and start turning these bad draws like yesterday into wins. So I, th- I think we're a better side. We we are decent a lot of the time going forward, but we don't score the goals that we should. We all know that. And you always have to remember that we are, in terms of what we spend and the wage bill we've got, we're probably performing where we should be, if not slightly better. Yeah. You know, we were talking about Brighton fans the other week sort of moaning because they weren't fourth in the league anymore and they were sort of punching far above their weight at that particular time. I, I always think you've got to stay humble as a Saints fan and, and realise sort of like where you are, where you've come from. We've got the issue with the ownership that everybody knows about. We're, we, you know, we, we're still recovering from the pandemic and stuff like that. But back to Ralph, I mean, he's you he talk about him looking older. He's, he's the same age as me and I look a lot older than I did three years ago. So I'm not sure it's, I'm not sure it's the job um, as much as it's just one of those things that happens to blokes when they reach, the, reach that age. So uh, no, I, overall, I, I, I think he's done, I think he's done pretty well. I think he would have liked to have done better, but at, at the moment, I'm I'm still happy enough, but it's it's all going to be shaped by what happens the rest of this season. Yeah, definitely. Steve, what are your thoughts on on three years of Ralph and uh, and going forward? Yeah, I largely agree. I and mean, while kind of the time under Hughes was kind of just dull and and not not really going anywhere for for the most part, I think under Ralph, it's largely it's been proper sort of peaks and troughs. There's not been a lot of sort of oh we're just we're just quite happy plodding along here. There's been some real high highs. Um so when obviously first half of last season when we were top of the table for what two days, uh, but also comfortably around that sort of top top four, top six up until up until the new year really. I think lessons have been learned from that in that we've now got a much deeper squad. Um, we've got genuine options to replace current first team players in most positions, aside from another sort of ridiculous injury crisis where everyone's out. I mean, obviously, goalkeeper situation is a problem. Yeah, yeah. but that's fine. Willie Willie Caballero will come in. It'll be great. <laughs> um, what could possibly go wrong there? Um, but no, I, I think I think overall, it's as Glenn said, it's better than it was three years ago. Yeah. Um, we've made steady progress, and ultimately, a lot of the a lot of the negative things have happened. Ralph could reasonably point to a lot of um, sort of mitigating circumstances. The, the condensed season last year clearly played a played a big big role in us falling falling to pieces. Um, sort of at the turn of the new year, and I think he is he's all he's getting better at certain things that that we've often complained about, like the timing of his substitutions. Uh, sort of reacting to opposition changes. So he's getting there. 
he's not he's not perfect, but at the end of the day, if he was, he wouldn't be managing us. That's true. That is absolutely true. Dan, you've probably spent more time with Ralph than, than any of us. Is he still learning on the job? Uh, how has he changed in the three years since you did that first press conference? He's, he's, he's certainly aged. He's grown a beard. Um, he's brought a waistcoat. <laughs> brought a waistcoat. He's, he's changed his dress sense, pulling out Windsor knots to, you know, with the top button done up. No, I think he's... He's always learning. He has that kind of saying, doesn't he? You know, if you don't win, you learn. And I think, as Steve's already mentioned, you know, with the subs and kind of getting outwitted by managers and stuff, he's he's got a lot better at that. He's he's still not perfect. But then, as again, as Steve said, if he was perfect, he'd be managing, mm. you know, Liverpool rather than Southampton. I think the issue would be if if he if he kind of wasn't learning. And I don't think, you know, I don't think he's going to stop learning. He's you know, even after the weekend, I'm sure he would have learned something and will take something away from from that game because that's how he is. He analyzes everything, you know, to the you know tiniest of details, and there's kind of no, you know, no stone stone is left unturned where he's concerned. I think as a whole, it, it's he mentioned to me last week on kind of going into the into the weekend about it being three years that you know it's been five or six kind of transfer windows and. He's had to sort of change the age profile of the squad, you know, look at the players they've brought in and look at the players they've got rid of. I think I asked him as a, as a kind of a joke, if you remember just starting 11 against Cardiff in 2018. And, it, you know, it had Charlie Austin leading the line, Lamina starting in midfield, Matt Target was left back, Jan Valerie started as right back, Vestergaard was playing. You know, a lot of those players are gone now and you've got younger, arguably hungrier players in, in their place. So, yeah, it, it's... It's always kind of a, a building job at Saints. Then you know they're never going to be the finished article because they haven't got the kind of finances to be the finished article. And you know I think they know where they sit in the pecking order in terms of best players and so on. You know if a player has a couple of good seasons, chances are they're going to get sold, and you have to go and reinvest that money. So mm-hmm. Ralph's bought into that. He you know I think of course he gets frustrated at times. I'm sure regardless of what he says, he would like a bigger checkbook, but. You know, he, he has to do his work on the training pitch and, you know, ultimately that's what he loves doing. So, yeah, I think it's, as Steve said, it's been an up and down three years. It's it's always kind of win 10, lose 10 kind of mentality. It's really good or really bad. There's not so much of a middle. But ultimately, and then going back to a point Glenn said, when you kind of spoke about Brighton and Brighton fans, it's what, what can Southampton fans really expect? You know, the league has moved on so far from you know, when Pochettino and even Koeman are in charge, you know, the, the the golf is just massive now. Okay, West Ham look like the next team to kind of possibly break into that, but it's just so difficult, so difficult to do. And I think what Claude Puel finished eighth with 43 points, that kind of just sort of keeps you in the Premier League now. So mm. the league has evolved since those guys have been in charge. And yeah, I, for me, Ralph is still doing a good job. He has his flaws, but, you know, all managers have their flaws. And yeah, with the resources he's got, I think he's doing fine. When you mentioned Charlie Austin and Mario Lumina, that kind of sums it up, doesn't it? How far we have actually come in those three years. Dan, just final word. You mentioned the the resources that he's got there. Glenn mentioned the potential takeover as well. I know this is something that you wrote about this week. You did the the online Q&A about the need for, for Gal to, to sell his club. Do you just want to just tell us where you are or where we are with that and where we can find out more? Because there was, there was a few bits that I, I hadn't realised that I found out this week. Yeah, so it was a piece I did um, on The Athletic earlier this week. It's kind of been in the background for a little while now, kind of always, you know, for me, the kind of biggest thing at Southampton is the ownership issue. It's, you know, the takeover, the whole process. I think there's no kind of 
bigger thing going on at the club. That's just my opinion. I know supporters will look to kind of the games, but for me, the, the ownership picture is huge. It's huge for the future of Southampton. And if they're going to try and get out of this malaise, they're going to have to change owners. And it came to my attention that, you know, through various kind of myriad conversations that, you know, the, the need for Gao to sell is almost certainly more pertinent than perhaps it was a year ago. Um, the pandemic's obviously hit hard. And yeah, you, you could say he's probably feeling the bite a little bit. And as I say, yeah, ultimately, you know, I, I kind of have to, I guess, be careful. But yeah, he needs to sell. He he needs to sell his 80% stake in Southampton to, to ease, you know, the financial pressures he may be under. So that that's kind of where we are. And I think, you know, for Southampton, they obviously took out this loan, the MSD loan that that has got them through the pandemic and is kind of continuing to get them through the pandemic. And I reported before that, you know, they have an option to borrow another 20 million as part of that clause. I'm not sure if they've done that or if they haven't done that. I guess we'd see in, in the accounts, maybe, you know, I don't think the accounts that are going to come out early next year are going to make for pretty reading as they won't for many other Premier League clubs. So yeah, it was back to the kind of the takeover. The, the information I had was that there was two groups that I don't want to say were really far down the line, but were certainly a lot further down the line then than others and to my knowledge one of them you know is kind of has the idea of the multi-club model which as I made the, the point I made in the piece you know that's very kind of common now among would-be investors it's seen as like you know City Football Group or something like that I'm not saying that that will happen at Southampton you know they might not end up buying the club it was also said to me look you know they, they could ring up on Tuesday and you know a deal could be done or they could ring up on Wednesday and say no thank you and you're back to square one it, it's that you know Southampton are in that mix and yeah, for me, it's quite a big issue. And, you know, the sooner they can get sold to the, to the right people, the right owners, then, you know, ultimately the better. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's worth a read, by the way. Go and if you haven't seen the article yet, do uh, do dig that out. The other thing I wanted to mention was the, the Spotify wrapped numbers have been released this week. This is where Spotify listeners get a bit of a deep dive into their most memorable listening moments of the year. And I have to say thank you to everybody who got in touch to share with us that we were their number one podcast. So that is very much appreciated. So thank you. Thank you for listening. We've covered a lot today i think that's it for episode 178 so uh, my thanks to steve and to glenn and to dan uh, thanks also to our matt letizia tier patrons that's colt baker dave ernsberger ed busy and phil cook and also nick reed who's in our francis benali tier you can find out more about becoming a tsp patron and all the benefits that come with that over on our website and don't forget to follow this podcast wherever you're listening and leave us a review if you would on the socials it's at total saints pods that's twitter and facebook and you can always get in touch during the week and and uh, comment on anything we mentioned today via the website. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, we'll be back to discuss the Arsenal game next week. Have a great time. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.